Hello, everybody. Welcome to CB Bowman Live. And you know, it is Thursday. And that's when we talk about what's going on in the workplace with regard to racism, Asian hate, um, anything that doesn't allow everyone to have the same rights, opportunities to move ahead within the workplace. Hey, and you know, you know what? I always have a secret, right? You know, CB. So today's secret has to do with my guest. We're talking to Brandon, who is an NFL player. Now you could tell from the way I said that I know nothing about sports, right? But you know what we're gonna do? We, shh, this is a real secret now. We are going to be launching a program called Breaking Through. And we're going to be talking to athletes about how did they come from where they were as a child and broke through to such fame and fortune, and then what happened next in their career. So you're going to have a chance to have some real insights into the sports world. And Brandon and I are going to launch that together. So. It's a secret, remember, okay? So with that, I'm so happy that you're here today. And so I'm good to see you. I did to introduce Brandon. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm happy to see my audience, not you. <laughs> I'm happy to see you. You're not going to be my partner in crime. What are you kidding me? So with that, I'm going to ask Brandon to tell us first to introduce himself, yeah. what team he played for, and then we're going to go back to the past. How did he get there? So you're actually going to find out more secrets today. <laughs> Ready for this ride? Let's rock it out. Brandon, welcome. Thank you, CB. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. It's a pleasure to meet your audience. Thank you for introducing me to your audience, CB. It's an honor. Um, I'm Brandon Lloyd. Uh, I, I would say that I'm famous for uh, superhuman feats of athleticism and effort over an 11 year span in the national football league. And, um, I played, I started my career in, uh, San Francisco with the 49ers. I went to, uh, the Washington football team from there. I played for a season with the Chicago bears. I came to Denver and in Denver is when I had my most productive seasons, um, well, season, I led the NFL in receiving yards. I was on the all-pro team, voted to the Pro Bowl. And uh, from there, I played with the St. Louis Rams. I played with the New England Patriots. And I finished my career with the San Francisco 49ers in 2015. I'm talking to a star. <laughs> you, know? you are so humble. I would have never guessed that. Thank you, Cindy. Wow. Well, you are such a kind man and so humble. And the work you're doing now, I would have never guessed that you had all the stardom. You're, you're just a poster child for how do you manage your life and your career. And so it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you. Let's, let's go back and let's talk about how did you grow up? Well, I'm the I'm the youngest of seven, and God bless your mom. <laughs> they're beautiful people. <laughs> you know, my parents were married at 17 years old in Kansas City, Missouri. 
they started a family early uh, in high school. And my dad heard that if he moved to California, became a resident, then the state would pay for college. Mm. And so that's what he did. He moved the family to Los Angeles. He went to, he started attending college. He went to seminary school. He raised the family out in Los Angeles. And, um, and so that's where my background and understanding of my place and my race and my role in America. And, you know, just like, you know, many of your guests that have come on the show and talked about um, that sense of pride that and, and responsibility that we have to have as young black men uh, growing up in America were the same values that my father and mother instilled in us and in our family, um, starting with uh, education. Um, you know, my father was saying the same things like, you know, you got to get that paper. That's something they can't take away from you. So I was, you know, a, a traditional student, you know, looking forward that way. Um, but, you know, my parents, you know, lived in Watts in, in Los Angeles. And then when they finally moved back to Kansas City, they lived in the inner city. And my Fortunately, my parents made sound financial decisions. So, uh, for example, you know, they got out of credit card debt in the 90s. Wow. And uh, they paid off their house within the 30-year loan. So they bought the, a home in the suburbs um, in the 1980s. And so the last three of us grew up in the suburbs in uh, Blue Springs, Missouri. So we went to Blue Ribbon Schools. We, um, you know, and we can touch on a lot of this, uh, the, these, uh, the way I view a lot of these race, uh, race related terms, uh, like assimilation. Uh, yes. So growing up in a predominantly white uh, environment, uh, my parents were like, well, no, you're not going to have nappy hair. No, you're not going to wear big baggy clothes. You're going to speak properly. You're going to shake people's hands and look them in the eye when you meet them. And so we, we, those values were instilled in us at a very young age. And so that's what, that's that humility that comes through when you, when we're, when we're on today. So, so let me ask you this question. Was there, and we have a question that came in. So Oh, how nice of you. Zach wrote in and he said, very well said, CB. Um, from the first time meeting Brandon Lloyd, I thought the same thing. He's very humble. Do you know Zach? Yeah, it sounds like, I, I mean, maybe uh, Zach from manufacturing. Zach Mofield. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. Oh, What's up, God. Zach? <laughs> Club is already listening. <laughs> so I want to ask you a personal question. Was there jealousy in your family uh, because the last three children were raised in the suburbs and the others were raised in sometimes troubled areas? Or did the, were the areas troubled after you left? So let, let's talk about that. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't say there was jealousy mainly just because of the support system that my parent, my mother and father had. Yes. Um, and so when I talk about my childhood being the last of seven, I say, you know, I was one of the spoiled, I was like a spoiled baby of the family <laughs> where it's like, um, you know, my sister Cheryl would come home from college, like, 
Hey, you want to go see an R-rated movie? <laughs> you want to drive my car? <laughs> so, you know, we were we were a very loving and, and doting family. We love on each other and dote on one another and support one another. And, you know, it was a, it was a very supportive family. And I realized that that's not normal. But for us, it's normal. And so we embrace that and we, and we live that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you had this very rich uh, supportive family, which it, gosh, so lucky. So very lucky. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel that children who don't have the wealth of that support that you had from your family can get it elsewhere? 100%. Well, both of my parents were public school educators. And so even when uh, my parents moved us to the suburbs, they still taught in the inner city. And, and it was, and my dad would fit in, he'd fit this line in every year, all year, he'd say, you know, I'm only doing this to reach one student, one student, that's all I'm doing it for, you know, you know, you're not a school teacher for the money, right? You know that, right? And, you know, he and he'd fit that in all year in a whole bunch of different conversations. And my dad was popular. He was a popular teacher. My dad is charismatic. He's funny. He's intelligent. And, you know, he's a math teacher. And he brought all those components into the math room. And he was popular. And he reached thousands upon thousands of students. But yet he always talked about just one, thinking about just one. And, and, I, and that's where my uh, sense of, you know, yes, I can love on my immediate family and I can care for my immediate family, but then I have a greater sense of community when I am choosing to do, you know, my philanthropic work. For example, when I got an opportunity to do Touchdown for Tots in the Bay Area, I picked a small uh, a daycare in Chinatown to donate the money to. Um, uh, I brought blessings in a backpack to Blue Springs, Missouri, which is a food insecurity program. Uh, I worked with DACA recipients in Boulder. I brought, I attempted to bring a financial literacy program to Lowell, Massachusetts, one of the most dangerous and underperforming communities in America. So I really tried to target my efforts and, and, and the most in the smallest areas where I can make the biggest impact in lives because I know I've seen it. You know, my, my father was proud of us. He brought us all into the classroom um, whenever we had, he had an opportunity, all of his kids and especially me. And, and it's like, when I became, when I became a public figure at 16 years old, you know, when I was on the cover in the sports section of the Kansas city star at 16 years old, I became a public figure and my dad wanted to continue to show me off and show me as a role model to the students. And so he always gave me platform to speak to his students. He always gave me a platform to speak to students in other classrooms. He'd have me come talk in the library after class or over lunch and to provide that example. And, and I've seen it at a young age. I know the impact to see these kids, to see someone who looks like them, to say that someone cares and loves them and cares about their future. It's, it's important to me. And, and that's why I choose to do the work that I do and, and the work with CareerWise Colorado today. So I have to tell you, 
you're going to make me tear up because the love and respect you have for your father, it's like walking into the sun. It's so bright. It's so radiant. Hmm. And boy, do we as a race need to hear the possibilities not to be jealous but to say i may not have had this but i have the ability to find somebody like this or some people like this and put them in my rolodex i have the opportunity to build a personal board of advisors and I'm not afraid if one of those advisors doesn't work out to replace them. You know, I subscribe to uh, Carla Harris, uh, Expect to Win. And she put, and my major takeaway was the mentor, the advisor, and the sponsor. Those are my, that was, those are my major three takeaways. And that, that mentor, you get the down and dirty, they get the everyday day-to-day, -day, how, how you're struggling, how you're succeeding. But then there's, that, there's another handoff to an advisor. And the advisor just really wants to, you to be coachable. Do what you're told. <laughs> and, 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 and report back on the successes and failures and we'll tweak and adjust, but just be coachable. And, those, and mastering those two relationships are what open up the door for the the most valuable part of networking which is that social currency if someone's going to put their professional network on the line for you and or for me or for anyone any one of our listeners or especially the young people and this is what i'm, I'm getting at with career wise this is what's important is that to nurture those first two relationships, because when you get when someone puts their career on the line for you, you better you better be prepared to show up and deliver. Show up mm -hmm. and show up right. Yes. And so before you talk about the sponsorship role, let me uh, this is must be another friend of yours. Ryan uh, says, I'm impressed by the attention and adherence to the family rules. As a 28 year, as a 28 year, I definitely learned those two, learned those to a T, but wasn't anything unexpected. You mentioned them, so do, so do believe of them as vital and really important or not entirely necessary, question mark. Um, you know, it's it's a little hard to read the writings because people are texting, so they're leaving out words. Did you get the drift of that one? So maybe maybe is uh, is that and that's Ryan. Maybe is Ryan talking about um, the role of parents? Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what you were getting, CB? Yeah, I, think, I think that's what I'm reading. I, I think uh, it says. I wish that people could come. Yeah, out. yeah. It's, I yeah. I think I can maybe pick up on that. It's 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 vital. But at some at some point we outgrow the nest, mm -hmm. right? And 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 what was important about uh, 
being the last of seven was I watched a lot of failures and successes. I, I had to be observant. I didn't want to make the same mistakes that my brothers made before me. I, my, my father communicated, he told me the stories and, and, you know, as, as a young person, you can probably be skeptical and, and I wasn't, I listened to him intently. I followed those stories uh, that he shared with me and I learned what not to do first. And then I executed on what to do. And, and so, I want to add to that because this is a place that a lot of people, black, white, purple, green, get stuck. Do not be afraid of failure. Failure is just a lesson you learn on your way to being a success. It's a step on the ladder to success. That's right. And fail intentionally, though, right? Um, uh, I always remember the story from my childhood, you know, of the three, there's, there's three men, uh, uh, the wise man who learns from, you know, uh, the uh, smart man who learns from his own mistakes, the stupid man who never learns, and the wise man who learns from other people's mistakes. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah. so, I, uh, so if I'm uh, being intentional and I'm, executing on what to do, and then I fail. For example, you know, I'm getting good grades and I'm, I made the, football or made the football team or the track team. I'll use track for example, a personal experience. And I make it to state and I lose and high jump. That's a failure, but I was doing the right things along the way, right? And that's, and that's what I mean, it's, it's um, failing with intention. Uh, with intent, with good intentions in, in, in mind, as opposed to making a stupid mistake and then saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm learning from my lesson. It's like, well, could we have prevented that so that it didn't go sink to, to uh, those levels? Yeah, I, I, want, I want to take what you said and, and make sure that our listeners are clear on this. Um, so what we're talking about is not planning to fail. What we're talking about is reap the lessons learned in your steps to success to make your success faster, greater, better, right? We're not talking about planning to fail. That's a whole different thing and it's not healthy. And, and so just to close out uh, that thought on uh, Ryan's question, so, when I turned 18 years old, my parents put a lot of responsibility in, in my court when it came to choosing colleges, okay? So I was getting letters from all over the country. I mean, I, I was a, you know, seven foot two high jumper in high school, you know, which was top three in the nation. I was invited to uh, uh, be an athlete in the Pan Am Games and train for the Olympics. Um, uh, I was a 25 foot long jumper, sub, you know, sub 14 hurdle, high hurdler, uh, top football athlete uh, ranked in the nation. So I was like, the letters were coming from all over. Uh, and, and so the decision that for me to attend college, my parents said, this is your decision. And so I had to take the responsibility with 
all the lessons that I've learned over those 17, 18 years with my parents. And I made the decision to attend the University of Illinois. And it was the moment it was like I shook my dad's hand and was like, thank you. I got it from here. Wow. I love it. Thank you. Right. That was amazing. Recognition of all of his work to say, you've prepared me well. I got it from here. And and it was and there was that observation, you know, as a now as a father, I'm 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 raising two teenage boys. And 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 when I reflected on what on uh, expected win by Carla Harris, I was like, oh wow, it was neat because my father went through that transition. He went from a mentor, everything down and dirty, to when I got into high school, he became an advisor. You know, I can't. I, I, he he said, I can't I can't whoop your ass anymore. Is what he said to me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna go there, you know. And and that was mainly for legal ramifications. He could still whip my ass. <laughs> He's an amazing man. And um, but he went to an advisor, and then when I went off to college or a uh, uh, college, he became a sponsor. You know, it was just. It was like all right. You, you you shouldn't be calling me telling me you're getting in trouble with the law in college. You shouldn't be calling me telling me you're not, you know, you're getting popped for drugs, you know, in college. We should be way beyond that. <laughs> and so and and so that was the that's just to close out Ryan's um, comment. Say, yeah, we fly the nest and we're ready to go. But, you know, parents also follow in that uh, mentor advisor sponsor role. Absolutely. So would you share with the audience uh, the sponsor role outside of the family? Yeah, the, the sponsor role, uh, what I noticed is it's the it's the the currency of the the network and and burning those bridges in the business community is it's unwise. And so when someone is given their word or and speaking on behalf or vouching for someone, then, you know, those it, it needs to come through. You know, I'm not saying you need to be batting a, a thousand, but you, you need to provide more help into the community uh, than you are providing failures into the community. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and another way to look at sponsors is that these are people who have the ability to whisper in somebody else's ear to select you for the role that will push your career ahead. You know, these are the people that whisper to other people on the golf course, in the bathrooms, you know, in the boardrooms. Listen, Brandon, he's your man. Yeah. You know, and it was, you know, there was a point in my NFL career when I was with the Washington football team where I had had several run-ins with the uh, head football coach. And that, and I ended up breaking my collarbone and and getting cut two years into a seven-year blockbuster contract. And because of those uh, altercations with the head football coach, with uh, the position coach and and 
uh, poor interaction with the media, that team all tried, not that team, those people in power on that team did a lot to try to blackball me from playing in the NFL in only my fourth year. Yeah. And you know what it came down to was my college football coach was the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. He told the head coach, Lovey Smith at the time, he says, I can't vouch for whatever just happened over these last two years, but I know Brandon since he was 16 years old. I've known him. I know his mother and his father. I know they're good people and he deserves another chance. And that's what got me back on my footing in the NFL and back on a track to continue to pursue my dreams. So it's like, that's a sponsor, that type of sponsorship. That's a clear definition of a sponsor. And I wanna say, weren't you lucky? But it was more than luck, right? But let's talk about the the part that didn't go so well. Yes. The confrontation part. And and let's talk about how you realized after the fact what you had done that could have been done differently. Right. And and honestly, CB, I I wouldn't have done it differently. I, you know, that's that is one thing that I and I've inherited from my mother's side of the family is a strong constitution. And, and I, I believed in my talent. I believed that I was brought into that situation to add value, athleticism, those spectacular plays to that organization. And then there was a certain level of accountability that I felt professionally wasn't being upheld on the other end. Ah. Now, the how I can communicate that, that's where the that systemic racism rears its ugly head in the NFL, mm-hmm. where the black players, you just shut up and take the money, regardless of how you feel, you know, the white coaches are in control. We are I'm calling the plays. You just be quiet. And and that's what I was hearing from my personal interactions with the head coach. Just shut up and take the money, he would say. Just just be quiet. And to me, it was squelching the potential that everyone saw that I had. I was ready to come on that team and 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 be an integral part in taking that team to the playoffs and beyond. You know, those are my childhood dreams. I want to play in the Super Bowl. I want to, you know, on this the top, number one franchise in in all professional sports. Like so those, these were my goals and dreams that were being squelched because of what I felt was um, uh, inadequate uh, game planning. So I, 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 you know, I I approached it the way I, I approached it and. Um, and that was the outcome and, and it was a, and it was a failure, but when it, when it came down to it on, on my past record from a certain sponsor, Ron Turner from a certain sponsor, I did have another opportunity. I'm going to push back that it was a failure because it wasn't, it was incredible success. Hmm. Uh, you know, I went through the same thing in the corporate side, which, um, I felt I, 
the oppression that was there, I took it for so long. And then all of a sudden, and this was the help with the help of therapy, actually. That's how bad it got. Um, but I had a wonderful friend slash therapist slash career coach who said, something is wrong. Let's let's start examining this. This was um, a Jewish guy who I believe God sent me. <laughs> I really do. Uh, because it was through him that I realized what was happening to me. And I was allowing it to happen because of lack of knowledge, right? I had not faced discrimination before I walked into the corporate world. Even though I grew up in totally white neighborhoods, somehow I was always protected. Even in my high school, the bad girls, they would not let anybody touch C.B. Bowman. You know, and and I look at the John Travolta movies and I'm like, wow, I was in that group and I was protected, man. So I had no idea what racism was until I went to the corporate world. So with that innocence, let's call it, I had I didn't understand the play. Mm. It took somebody who was white to explain the play to me. Who would have thought, right? Right. And my choice at that time was to continue to be a victim or to fight back. And I chose to fight back. Could it have been done different? I don't know. You never know. All I know is that I, and I had to continue to work at the company while I was fighting back. Mm. Now, did that take a toll on me? Yeah. As I grew older, I realized the toll it took on my health. But here's the thing. I can always look back now and say, I opened the door for my brothers and sisters. And that means more to me than the results of the case, which I won, by the way. But I'm just saying that to me was worth the pain that I had to go through working at those companies. Hmm. That's powerful. And Fortunately, I had my sponsors who came and said to the companies, you guys are heading down a rabbit hole with this. Mm. She may seem like she doesn't know that she can't take care of herself, but you're heading down a rabbit hole. And we mean hitting the press. Yeah. And, and talk about the stamina that it takes emotionally that what you were going through. Can I just tell you that I was shunned more by people of my own race who were at the company <laughs> than others. That was the worst toll. That was right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then, and some of it, it's um, the internalized oppression, where uh, a lot of times in uh, the black community, uh, from what I what I would experience as a youth was, you know, you know, black people don't talk like that, you know, you know, black people don't listen to Green Day, Green Day. you know, yes. black people, black people don't golf, yeah, you know, black people don't watch them kind of movies, and it's like how many lines from you know, uh, the color purple, can you recite? Or how many lines from, you know, Friday can you recite to test your level of blackness? Yeah. And and so it's like, I can, I was fortunate enough to have seven, you know, six other siblings who were supportive, who were, who were positive, who were uh, college graduates, who were in the workforce, and two parents who were saying, you can be whatever you say you want to be. You can do it. And so I can only imagine how tough it is for the black youth who don't have that reinforcement in the home to where they're like, you know what? You're right. Black people don't do that. And then you start missing out on those uh, abilities to be sponsored. Like you were talking about earlier, like who's talking at the boardroom? They actually, they do golf. <laughs> actually, they do. Yes. you know, listen to classic rock. And so, you know, those are lessons that I learned at a young age where it's like, so for the the black community who was not in athletics at the level I was, I, I didn't fit in. I was like, well, my teammates listen to Green Day, so I'm listening to Green Day. That's right. My coaches are listening to classic rock, so I'm going to learn to love it. <laughs> you know, it's not about giving up your heritage. It's adding information it's like when you go to school you add information and that information allows you to make wiser decisions without that information you can't make wise decisions i'll give you a really good example we could you know what we're going to be talking for days but i love it um <clears throat> the situation with teen vogue that just happened where here you had uh, a woman who in her teen years made disparaging comments against Asians. Vogue fired her. She's now in her 20s. Right? And I was all up in arms about that. You know, I mean, my people, what, 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 what are you talking about here, right? Give people a chance. Don't go automatically to cancel culture. Right? Last night I was on Clubhouse and an attorney was on my show. And she said, well, you know, CB, that was not Vogue's decision. I said, what are you talking about? They, were deter they made the decision to terminate her. And by the way, audience, I am not supporting negative statements about any race, any religion any sexual, I am not supporting it. I'm telling a story. Um, and I said, what are you talking about? And she said, a cosmetic company came to them and said, if you don't terminate this person, we're pulling our contract. The contract was worth millions of dollars. So now we're looking at, is it punishment? Is it a business decision? Is it both? I'm not in the position to make that call. 
before I had the facts, I was in a position to make the call based upon my feelings being a black woman. Because we have all made mistakes. You know that expression, young, dumb, and stupid? Right. We've all been there, right? So I'm simply saying, without all the information, even though you think you might have it, you don't know. You have to build up your ability to go out and get all the facts. Doesn't mean you have to change your mind. It just means that you have a wider breadth of information to make some decisions. So saying that, oh, because you're black, you should not be exposed to other things that people listen to. When I grew up, French music was my thing. I wanted to hear Piaf. Doesn't mean I'm not black. Right. I'm not giving up my blackdom. I'm increasing my knowledge. That's right. Right? So I, I take exception with people who say you're giving up because my position is you're adding on. That's right. Okay. I agree. So tell us, tell us about what you're up to these days. You're doing something with a group called CareerWise. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a high school apprenticeship program. And it. Um, what I enjoy about um, my service to CareerWise is that it combines all of those elements that I talked about uh, from my past you know, philanthropic endeavors. Um, and what I realized being on the you know, cover of the sports section, <laughs> it wasn't putting food on these kids' table. It was, you know, I go speak to kids about doing better and being better, but then I just leave. And and with career-wise, we actually are leaving the students with the game plan. In my, order, my husband wants your autograph, so let, let, let's. Okay. Hook me up. Hook me up. Okay. <laughs> yes, and um, uh, equipping students with the skills um, to uh, build careers, and it so it combines their uh, existing high school education with a real world business experience. So it's a Swiss model. It's the dual education model. Uh, Noel Ginsberg, our um, incredible founder of CareerWise, uh, went to Switzerland uh, with a delegation under the then Governor Hickenlooper with a bunch of business leaders and philanthropic leaders. And they, when they returned back to Colorado, they, they said that this would be a good model to introduce to the students in the Denver Public Schools. And so, so yeah, I, I'm loving, how does it work? Do you spend, how many hours a day do you spend in school or any of your subject short chains? So the, the program starts when they're juniors in high school and it replaces their electives. So there's, there's a bunch of creativity with the, the employer partners where, you know, you know, some of our employer partners, they go for a half day every day of the week. You know, some of them go for three days at school, two days at work for the first year. And then the second year that flip flops. And um, so while they're at the work site, they're getting school credit. So the students graduate on time. And there's um, a, 
again, there's a lot of the opportunity for the students to be indoctrinated into a work culture. They're exposed to uh, the, that social network. The um, and what's amazing about it is the, you know, due to the unfortunate policing events last summer, the our white brothers and sisters out there are looking to do more into our community. And so we've uh, launched the Equity First Initiative, which is actually giving more resources to students of color and giving them more opportunity in order to get into the workplace while they're in high school. And that's for, and our Equity First partners make an, an explicit statement that um, our students of color are unprepared uh, going into the workforce and uh, they're willing to add uh, additional boot camps to our students who are in career wise in the summertime, which is it could be uh, office skills uh, with Microsoft Word or Google Word all the way to uh, technical skills on what they're actually working with. Now, career wise is not a anti-college program. So our employer partners are participating in our students um, college education. So in that third year of their apprenticeship, they are able to attend uh, a semester of community college, uh, a college work that's relevant to the work that they're doing with their employer. Okay, I have lots of questions. Are you ready for this? this I'm ready. Kind. Um, I had the experience when I was uh, designing uh, and implementing an internal university for a company. And I would see kids coming in uh, for the summer to work. And so employees would bring in their kids to work. Here's what I saw, is that the black children were relegated to stapling papers. The white children were taken out to lunch with the executives. How do you monitor that in your program? Well, that's part of our um, customer success managers. So we have a complete service that we're, uh, not only are we training our students on etiquette and how to communicate with their uh, supervisors and their team members, but we also work with our employer partners and we provide training on how to communicate with Gen Z and um, what to expect out of a, a high school apprentice, because it's different. You know, they're, they're training on potential versus uh, an adult hire who already has experience. So the, there's, you know, two types of managers, um, two types of hires that we are experiencing, or three types. It's um, companies that are looking to hire for workforce development for the future because of an aging workforce, companies who are looking to do a social good and companies who are actually looking to make equity first uh, statements and to help students of color. So uh, what happens with Career Rise is it's not an internship, it's an apprenticeship. So they go on as a uh, W-2 employee and they get paid minimum wage. And we are the intermediary between the Department of Labor and the employer. So these students get a nationally recognized certificate 
they, uh, and so for example, so if a student goes into a company and our biz ops and is going in as a sales associate, business operations, sales associate, they can get the national uh, cert certification Toastmasters. And the, the employer partner pays for that. And the students are, are actually integral parts of the workforce. They, they're not to be um, getting coffee or stapling papers. They're actually getting trained to work, which was a, a, a amazing statistic that we found during COVID or 67% of our apprentices stayed on at a time where interns was coming to a dead stop, full stop. But that just shows how much of an integral part our apprentices were to our employer partners, that they were deemed essential and were kept in place and switched to remote. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly what I was getting to is how do you how do you manage the work that they're actually given to be sure that it's meaningful? Yeah. Okay. My next question is you mentioned that they also receive support in going on to a community college. Why community college? Why not the top five colleges or why not a university of top ranking? Well, because we can pluck, we can pluck colleges from, we can pluck courses from the community college system. Now, the point of CareerWise is to present working opportunities for students who may not have four-year college in their horizon. You know, we're sitting on top, you know, you know the, the pandemic is bubbling on top of a bunch of other epidemics. And the college debt crisis was the newest one. And it finally come come to a head. And so maybe students are turned off by that. Maybe they don't want to deal with that. And so they want to get into the workforce. They want to they maybe they need to support their family. And 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 our business partners are looking to support the community. And it's like looking forward, how are we going to manage uh, this pandemic? Uh, you know, the record unemployment, uh, government assistance, you know, I'm sure students are looking at their parents dis, you know, gruntled and about the workforce and make, like, what do you think that they're thinking? You know, I'm sure they're thinking they're probably turned off by the workforce also, but career wise, we want to encourage them that no, there's businesses out there who need you, who want you and who are ready to train you and get you and, and, and use their social uh, currency and, and get you involved into the economy. Because my biggest fear is that students, you know, our young people are becoming, you know, uh, subjects of the economy and not participants in the economy. And that's where my passion for CareerWise lies, is giving these students the a power to understand how money works, how you fit into how money works in the economy. And then you have people willing to uh, be your mentor, your advisor, and your sponsor and, and help you elevate. And, and so then the question becomes, uh, is there an opportunity, and I'm checking the time because I want to come back to something, um, is there an opportunity for these students to learn entrepreneurship? Right. Now, the, the pathways that, the occupations that we create, there's a lot of intentionality that go behind them. And so, you know, we, we're testing if they're a springboard for upward mobility. We, we pressure test to um, make sure it's not a static job. And, um, we're, we're, and so we, we want to make sure that 
you know, there's potential for the future. And, and so we haven't quite figured out how entrepreneur works as an occupation, but, you know, we're working on it, you know, because it does come up. It does come up. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question on this subject is, because I'm sure we have listeners, how can companies get involved in this program? Well, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. You can uh, reach out. You can visit our website, careerwisecolorado.org, and uh, you can get involved and, and, and rather immediately. We have a lot. We work with uh, 60 schools in the Denver metro area. We are uh, 100 schools statewide. We're in New York. You know, we're working with, you know, the largest philanthropic organizations, Bloomberg, the Walton family, the um, Daniels Fund. Uh, we were in J.P. Morgan Chase in New York and Amazon in New York. We opened Elkhart, Indiana. We're reaching into Indianapolis. We have outreach from 36 other states that are looking to to, to bring uh, career-wise into their state. We just opened up a new uh, 401c3 in D.C. So, you know, it's expanding. We're getting amazing uptick and we do need more partners. We need more business partners who are ready to step forward and, and have a forward outlook on our economy and give our young people a chance. Here's another question. I know I said that was my last question, but you know, I didn't tell the truth. <laughs> um, if there is an entrepreneurship that's interested in this program, a solopreneur, um, and they don't have the money to fund a student going through this, is there a scholarship available? Well, could... well, there's grant applications. Okay. We rely, we, we rely solely on our philanthropic uh, and, and endowments and the government, state and federal government for grants. So um, the Biden administration is about to roll out an unprecedented amount of support for apprenticeships here soon. Uh, Governor Polis is an amazing advocate for um, for apprenticeships and is about to roll out a, a 5% initiative where he's going to challenge corporations to hire 5% of your workforce as an apprentice. Um, Governor Polis is bringing on 30 career-wise apprentices at the statewide level. Um, Mayor Hancock's bringing on over 10 apprentices into the city of Denver. And so, you know, this dual education pathway is gaining remarkable momentum. And, and it's, we call it a modern apprentice and we're not quite focused on the trades yet. We're, we're really focused on getting students into office roles, HR, IT, uh, facility maintenance, business operations, sales, or getting students into modern roles. But uh, eventually we will get into some of the trades, but we feel like there's already existing infrastructure for apprentices in the trades. And so we're just not treading in that, uh, in that water yet. We're just focused on uh, these modern roles. Well, please keep me, keep me in the loop for grants for you know, smaller businesses to be able to participate in this because I think that that, that is a wealth of information uh, because these children get a chance to experience an office from a 360 experience and to see what it takes 
to start your own business and to succeed in your own business. I think that that's a different education and one that's incredibly important because as we look, I think Obama said that, I love what he used to say, this country is run by small businesses, right? So I wanna go back, oh God, we're just we're almost out of time. And I wanted to talk about how did you make the leap from being a football star to the work that you're doing now? Was there downtime? Was there upset about losing your status as a star? I'm, I'm like, you're a star now, but I'm trying to be gentle about it. Let me just tell you what it is. How did you feel after you left football and what made you decide to move into this? And how did you get the interest to, you know, all that kind of. CB, retiring from the NFL was an incredible loss. Okay. Incredible I loss of self and identity and worth. It, it was emotional. It was an emotional loss. Mm -hmm. And it was only the support of those mentors, advisors, and sponsors who stepped right up and were like, no, 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 Brandon, you have transferable skills. And I'm like, what? Yes. I'm like, what? I have what? Yes. And they spent time with me, you know? And so it was like, it was opportunities where, you know, I vacation with my friend, Jeff Murray and Steamboat uh, with the family. And then it wasn't until the family went to bed and we were doing the dishes, then we'd start talking about my plan post NFL, like how you're gonna, what, what the next step was gonna be. What's the next step? Go back and get your undergraduate. Let's do that. Great, what's the next step? Start building your resume. What's the next step? Let's start, let me start introducing you to people in the aerospace sector. And I, I think that what's, what set me up for that was I actually worked in the off seasons in the NFL. So, you know, I had foresight to what I was going to be doing thanks to another man here in Denver, Colorado, um, who you know, I met him at Nuggets Games, who owned an aerospace company here in Colorado. And he asked me, what are you going to be doing with yourself when you retire? See, I thought I was about done. This was my first year with the Denver Broncos in 2009. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to be a rapper or what are you going to do? You know, because I have a hip hop catalog. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so he says, why don't you come work for me in the off seasons? And then I'll give you a leave of absence to go play in the NFL. I love it. And so I began managing, you know, some of his most um, uh, prestigious accounts. I had the Boeing account. I had the SpaceX account. <laughs> I had the uh, military contractors with the F-35 um, project. Um, I got to study under a metallurgist in, in, in Tacoma, Washington, you know, and then um, that uh, Mr. Murray, while I was in the NFL, he was my neighbor when I was with the Bears. He says, you know what, you, don't you remember I'm in the aerospace sector? Let me introduce you to the CEO of Spirit Aerosystems. And so I had this role in aerospace and I had my own Rolodex which was very valuable. And so I, it was that type of networking and business um, pursuit that I was doing outside of the NFL that prepared me for my retirement. You know what? So audience, you just heard the next secret. The work that Brandon and I are going to be doing is to support 
entertainers. When I say support, we're not talking money here. What we're talking about, sponsorship, mentorship, coaching, people in the sports arena who went through what Brandon went through. And you hear my four-legged son agreeing, right? <laughs> so we don't want athletes to have to go through what Brandon did. He was lucky. He had, he wasn't lucky. Yes, he was. A strong constitution, right? And that constitution came from his family. But there are many athletes and entertainers that don't have the privilege of having what Brandon did. So we are going to create that privilege. And what's amazing is that the, it exists. It's all around them. It's all around us. Those people, you know, I thought this man was my neighbor, but in reality, he was an advisor. So these, you know, people miss, uh, exist around us and we just have to activate them. And, and that's, you know, the point of the coaching is what skills do you have? What skills are transferable? And when it comes to being an athlete and, um, uh, what I realized the the best the the best part of being an athlete was the access. People wanted to you know the a actors and politicians and billionaires and sheikhs of Qatar and like everyone wants to be associated with that level of excellence. Yes. <laughs> and so, and so, but what do we do with that? What do we do with that access? The worst part about being a professional athlete is the lack of privacy. <laughs> so what do you also do with that? You know, so it takes a, a lot of, uh, of, of discipline to, to stay in between those two extremes Yes. and, 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 and stay in the clear from those uh, pitfalls that are right there for everyone to fall into and just kind of, and providing a network for, for, uh, athletes and, and entertainers to um, uh, have a community to support them, support. And, and that's what we're going to do. And, you know, I don't think that we realize as a general public the pain that people that we worship go through. And there is no, there's no safe space. Hmm. And so we want to create that safe space and, and to be able to be advisors, because as you said, Brandon, so many opportunities come at them, but are they opportunities that come from the heart or are they, you know, abusive opportunities, which we've seen a lot. So we want to help athletes figure out What's real here? What can help them move forward? And what can they give back? And when should they give back? And if they have the interest in giving, there's just so much. And we need to provide that safe space, that advisory space, that coaching space. So I'm so happy Brandon is going to join me in creating this wonderful opportunity to support those who have entertained us, who've given so much of themselves and we haven't been able to provide for them 
the security and safe space to continue to operate once they go to their second career or second life. And and the community is honored to be coached by UCB. I mean, you're um, an, an incredible visionary listener and, and the advice that you give is sound. It's rooted in education and experience and and that's what it's about because it's when it's the, those it's the people like you who came into my life where I was like all right I can be coachable to this person because there's a lot of people that came along where it's kind of like uh I'll dismiss that but it was people like you who came along with intent with experience and with energy and so the, the community is going to be lucky to have you as a coach. I love you. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have a listener, Caroline yeah. Boyce. She is a dear friend. She's a sweetheart. I actually serve on her board of advisors. Uh, she's with the Chief Financial Officers Association. And, and then and there's a diversity sector where I served on the board. And she says, love your honesty to you. You have great skills, Brandon. And supreme compliment. Thank you so much. No, I'm, I'm gonna get into so much trouble. I really am. <laughs> it's the privilege of being older. You get to say stuff. Right? <laughs> Hey, we're, we're a minute over. My goodness, everyone, please stay tuned and um, join me on Tuesday for Challenges of the C-Suite, where we're going to have another spectacular guest. So um, stay tuned for the work that Brandon and I are going to do. You're going to love it. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are going to raise their hands and say, CB, I want to be part of this. You can be. So reach out to Brandon and I, let's make this happen. Let's bring some light through all the pandemics we have been going through. Let's bring some happiness, let's bring some spirit. And so, you know, so what, what are my closing words for today? Humility, <laughs> go out there, use your humility. It will take you a long, long way. And Carolyn writes, I love you, CB. Back at you, girl. I love you, too. So with that, Brandon, thank you so much for coming to us and speaking from your heart and uplifting people who have not had the opportunities that you had. And I am so honored to be working with you. I, I just can't wait. Same. Thank you. All right, everybody. So stay tuned and remember, use that humility. It really works. Have a great week and I'll see you on Tuesday. Behave yourselves out there. Bye now.